good morning, everybody online. And as Jaquiel said, uh, you could be in any number of places with us today on Facebook at ccmonline.org, on YouTube, and maybe you are even joining us later on this week uh, on the podcast. And whichever way it is, we're grateful that you've decided to come be a part of CCM community with us this week. So any time of the day, uh, isn't it? it's good to know that 24 hours a day you can come on and listen to a message or sing or any of those great things. All my life I've been carried by grace Don't ask me how cause I can't explain It's nothing short of a miracle I'm here Got some blessings that I don't deserve Got some scars but that's how you learn It's nothing short of a miracle I was about five years old. Um, my dad, um, our house, we were like, 
we grew up, we were, uh, Claire says we were publics. We, we said we were Catholic. But we really, the honest truth of it was is sometimes we went on Christmas and Easter. But that was my experience up till that point at five. Uh, my dad grew up in a Pentecostal, what was what's considered like a Pentecostal holiness church. He would say things about it occasionally, but really not much. One Sunday night, he decided that he was going to take my older brother Rick and I to a service. Now, um, we drove what seemed to be a, a, a long time. We'd get to this church. It seemed like it was kind of in the middle of, um, just out in the middle of the country, and once we got out of the car, you could hear the place rocking. It was really uh, going to town. It was awesome. We get inside, and I knew this wasn't my mom's church. And um, anyway, as a little kid, I remember, like, they stopped the music. It wasn't a real big church. They stopped the music, and they said, there is Brother Richard with his sons. And I was like, it's a miracle. Like, I know this guy has never met my dad. So that just started an evening as a little kid that was like, this is amazing. At one point in the worship service, when the singing was going on and the dancing and everything, the pastor got up and he did an altar call for anyone that smoked cigarettes. And he asked for them to throw the cigarettes to the front. And like the cigarettes started coming from everywhere. <laughs> Like, they were hitting people in the back of the head. They'd pick them up, just keep throwing them to the front. Till finally there's this pile of cigarettes in the front. My dad and I would, and my brothers we, and sister, we would later joke around about the pastor obviously was a smoker, and that's how he got his stash every month. He would do an altar call for cigarettes. I know you guys say that kind of stuff about Claire and I. We don't smoke, but I know you say other things. Anyway, we would laugh about that. But it was, I remember as a little boy, how profound it uh, was, my dad was a smoker, and how that moment and other moments in the service were really powerful for him. I knew it. Like to the tip of my toes, I experienced just sitting next to him and my brother, and I remember my dad just weeping when he did that. Have you ever had an experience where it was just so powerful. Like you gave your life to Christ, you made a decision, like my dad did that night, that he wasn't going to smoke again, which actually didn't continue to happen. My dad, for all I know, on the way home, we bought another pack of Winston's, and he struggled with smoking for pretty much the rest of his life. But have you ever had those moments, and you felt like you were just in God's presence, and you knew you were in God's presence, and it was like you... you you connected with God in a powerful, profound way. And even looking around that room that night and other rooms along the way, and even in my own life, I know there's been those moments, and it's like it feels like all things are new. Like everything is new, and then you wake up the next day, right? And you're still in the same old house. It's like a country song. You're in the same old house. You got the same old dog. You're singing, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. That's how you feel the next day, right? And part of the reason for that is God is always trying to work from the inside out in our lives. Those moments are important. Those moments are powerful and profound. They're defining moments in our life. But what God's really after is to change us in our interiority, as we enter into Lent, God wants us to pay attention to his voice. God wants us to pay attention to God's word. 
to know that God is working something deep. And those moments become moments that propel us forward. But God is doing a work in you and I for our whole life. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for just a couple of minutes. Because the season of Lent is a season of fasting. Um, someone asked me yesterday, what are, you, are you speaking tomorrow? I said, yeah. They said, what are you speaking about? And I said, fasting. And I thought, well, he's probably not coming tomorrow. <laughs> but God, God's voice is life. And the work that God does in our interiority is life. And the practice of fasting has remarkable benefits. I want to talk to you just about not, obviously I can't give an exhausted list of the remarkable benefits of intentionally, of getting in by intentionally going without, but I want to talk to you about what that might look like. Now, for you, fasting um, could could mean going without a lot of different things. And the reason that any of us would fast, or the invitation scripturally, is that we would go without something in order to be more intentional about paying attention to God's voice, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, what's going on internally in us, to be in tune with God's wisdom, Going without certain things. For me, food has always been the thing, and generally people think about food when it comes to fasting because that's the prevalent picture in Scripture. But it could be anything. It could be anything that you put before God and say, I'm going to go without this for a time and pay extra attention. The first benefit that I want to talk to you about is that it helps you and I be more in tune with God's spirit, God's voice, and God's wisdom. I'm not always great at tuning in. Like, I'm not always, this may have never happened to you, but I'm not always great at hearing everything somebody else says. Like, don't tell Claire I'm saying this, but I don't always, like, people will say something. This is a great example. Just Friday night, for instance, I called, uh, Claire and I called Ian, our son, to find out what time Adriana, our granddaughter's basketball game, was the next morning so we could meet him at his house. That's the reason we called. We called, he gives us the answer, we start talking to the granddaughters, we talk to him for a little bit, get off the phone, and about 10 minutes later, I looked at Claire and I said, what, I don't even, what time am I supposed to be there? Like, has that ever happened to you or is it just me? And it's not because I'm getting older. This is a phenomenon that's always happened. I, I have this picture. You guys remember the movie Rush Hour? If you ever saw Rush Hour, I love the, the scene where Chris Tucker is at the bottom. Uh, he's on the tarmac, and Jackie Chan comes down the, the steps of the plane. He's followed by a couple of other uh, folks that are of Asian descent, the pilot and the, the um uh, the steward, and they get, to the, they get to the tarmac, and Chris Tucker's like all kind of wound up. And he says, do you understand what is coming out of my mouth? <laughs> like sometimes I hear that, like, like God is saying, do you understand what is coming out of my mouth? And of course, Jackie Chan is just kind of playing a joke on him. He does understand, but he doesn't make out like he understands. Just say it to somebody around you. Do you understand what is coming out of your mouth, out of my mouth? 
So the scripture kind of more kindly tells us, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's important for God to do an internal work in us that we would hear God's voice. That's one of the reasons and one of the ways that it principally happens. Fasting helps us pay closer attention. It's the benefit of tuning in, shutting out something that is maybe very consistent and common in our life in order to pay attention. Now, it's funny, a lot of you have probably, or maybe all of you are familiar, either in the room or online, familiar with the story that shows up in three of the Gospels about Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And it's, it's kind of interesting, some of the stories about Jesus, how we make them so spiritualized that we try to like push them away from having an effect on what's supposed to happen in our life or maybe what God's trying to ha- do in our life. Um, like I've heard people say that, you know, uh, I've never fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in a row. I don't know if you have. Maybe you could speak into this better than me. I've certainly fasted. It's been a practice my whole uh, Christian life, but um, I've not done 40 days and 40 nights. But I know this from my own experience, which was not even close to 40 days and 40 nights, that you get hungry. Because there's some people that say, well, you don't get hungry. Like after a little while, you just, the hunger goes away. No, you've obviously never fasted because actually you want to break into the grocery store that's shut at night. The only time hunger goes away is when you're sleeping. So there's a lot of naps generally when it comes to fasting. But Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's always interesting when you are fasting, maybe you've noticed this, but like everybody that wants to have a meeting with you wants to do it at a restaurant. Like, can we have something to eat? Can we go for a burger? And the worst is if you smell bacon, right? Bacon is the worst. So you're trying to listen to God, and then all of a sudden you can hear the bacon cooking. So yesterday, we did go to the basketball game with Adriana and Ian and me, the three of us. We go off. We're in St. Joe's. We get done. And nobody knows in the car that I'm, I haven't eaten. By the way, I'm, I've been fasting. I wouldn't tell you that, but Claire signed me up. Claire signed me up on Wednesday to start fasting, which I'm actually really grateful for. I told her that. Because during COVID, this has been such a hard practice for me. This is such a common practice, been such a common practice in my life, but so hard during COVID. But anyway, so grateful for that. But anyway, so, um, you know, went into the fast, started, started Lent that way. And, um, and anyway, so we're in the car, and Ian says, I'm hangry. Now, he doesn't know I'm hungry. He says, we need to stop somewhere. I'm hangry. So we stopped. And we, he says, let's go to Wendy's. So I'm in the driver's seat, sitting in the driver's seat. And it's like, okay, Adriana, what do you want? And um, she's like, chicken nuggets. I'm like, yes, chicken nuggets. Thank you, Jesus. And then I look over at Ian. I order the chicken nuggets, look over at Ian. And Ian's like, what seems to be, you ever been on a drive through And it seems like the people are taking forever, kind of like this story. Anyway... Um, <laughs> He's just sitting there, and I'm like, Jesus, please, no Baconator. Whatever you do, Jesus, 
you've got to come through. And I'm watching him, like, look up and down the list. I'm like, no Baconator, Lord. Come on. So anyway, he ordered the number six, which is the breaded chicken sandwich meal. I'm like, oh, Jesus, first miracle of the day. Anyway, there are these things that stretch us, but God is trying to speak to us. So Jesus goes off, he fasts in the wilderness, and he makes this really interesting statement, doesn't he? The scripture says this in Matthew chapter 4. Our reading in, the, in our devotional book is out of Luke chapter 4, but I wanted to do Matthew chapter 4 for a very specific reason in the wording, which is a little different than Luke. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Because that's another thing. Some people say Jesus really wasn't hungry because he was just feeding on the word. Even theologians would say that, but Jesus, remember, was fully God and fully man. And if Jesus didn't eat, at some point he would have died from it. And, of course, we see Jesus eating a lot in the Gospels, right? Jesus is eating all the time except for right now. So the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. Everyone say, It is written. written. Say it again. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because Jesus is God. Everything Jesus is saying is the word of God. But even Jesus refers to the scripture, the written word of God. It's all God's word, right? What Jesus is speaking and what's already been written. And what he's referencing is a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So, one of the first things in listening to God and allowing our interiority to be shifted is, if we want a vibrant spiritual life, don't become so hyper-spiritual that you don't think you need the word, the written word of God, and being immersed in it consistently. If you're going to fast, don't fast the Word of God. Open yourself up to the Word of God. Don't starve yourself from the things that God has written and said through the Word. This is where we start wanting to be in tune. This is where we start to really pay attention. Now, when we jump to Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with verse 2, the the scripture that Jesus was referring to, he says, Now remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for for 40 years, excuse me, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Now, just know this. The point isn't that God would just be proud of you or I for fasting. The point is is that we go through these 
these spiritual disciplines to posture ourselves in a place where we can connect with God better. Ultimately, even things like fasting are just about putting yourself in an uncomfortable space, not for the sake of just being uncomfortable, but for the sake of being able to better listen to what God might be speaking to us. So he says here that he did that to humble them, to test them, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. I remember uh, Claire and I, in the early years of our marriage, we, we uh, as we have said before, we certainly didn't have many resources. We, we, we had a very full, absolutely amazing life, loved it, but it wasn't because we had money. And um, those were the years where we made like $8,000 a year, $13,000 a year. We were living in River Rouge, and at one point, Um, This is one of the places where I felt like fasting would be a really helpful spiritual exercise for me, fasting food, because I could hear so clearly what God was trying to communicate when I was hungry. And anyway, I had a friend. We had a friend. His name was Brad. We lived in River Rouge, and um, Brad had been a baker for Farmer Jack, not that that even matters, but he got a buyout. So Brad, it was like 12 grand or something, which to him seemed like a million dollars. He lived a couple blocks away from us. We were all in the same church. We're all worshiping together, that kind of thing. Brad's a good friend. Anyway, Brad, so Brad's off of work, and this was one of the times where I actually had work. So I remember going to work one day, and I don't, know if, I don't know if I was at the end of a fast or what it was. All I know is I was hungry, and Brad was irritating me. Like, he had, it had built up to that. Like, he wouldn't go home. And when you're like 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're married, you want people to go home sometimes, right? Except just you and your wife. Some of you remember that. Anyway... Um, so Brad, he was irritating me for other reasons. And, um, anyway, I came in and, um, came in for dinner and we were having steak that night. Now that was a a rare treat, but when we did have steak, it was because Claire's dad gave it to us. So we sat down and there's this big steak. Claire kind of cuts it up. I get a medallion, like the size of a silver dollar. And Brad's steak is like flowing over the plate, right? And I remember sitting at the table and saying, this is not going to work for me. Jesus. Didn't say anything. I would tell Brad years later. He was surprised that I was so upset at him. Because when I would get home, I'd be like, so what's going on? Brad would be there. He's like, well, we were just here fellowshipping in the Lord. Like, really? Really? working all day, and you're here fellowshipping in the Lord. We were out today sunning ourselves in the yard. Now, Claire would never say that, but that was Brad trying to defend my position. Anyway, so I remember that night, and as I was sitting at the table, I, I could hear God. I don't know how God talks to you, but I, I, I really do know how he speaks to me. And he just said, Really? Like, really? 
and I was sitting there wanting to say something, didn't say anything. We got done. Brad finally did go home. Um, and later on that night, Claire, who I have found, her voice sounds a lot like Jesus, too. Um, first thing she said to me was, really? That bothered you? So I realized that this was an important turf because there was a lot of space for me to grow, especially when I got hungry, especially when I went without something that I wanted. The other thing that I think is important to understand when you talk about fasting is the deep trust that God is working in you in a fast. That's part of the point. You're going without something that you normally have and get. You can conveniently access, and now you're going without it, and you need to trust God in that space. The scripture says that they ate manna in the wilderness. Now, understand that manna was a spoken-for substance. It was literally God's word, God's voice that sent manna, which they had never experienced before, for them to eat. They'd wake up in the morning, there was manna. Wake up the next morning, more manna. No one had ever seen manna before. The scripture even says that God made them hungry so that God could feed them manna, feed them out of his voice, out of God's voice, out of God's word. I made you hungry so I could feed you manna. I left you in the wilderness to learn my words and my voice. That was really the lesson that God was trying to promote in them and in us in those 40 years. For Jesus, it was 40 days. For them, for the Israelites, it was 40 years. For some of us, who knows how long it is, but that is a primary principle that God's trying to work in our interiority. I can provide for you in the wilderness. Men and women shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God tells them, go and collect it every day. There's an expiration date. I don't know that my family would have done so good, the family I grew up in, with expiration dates like this. Like you have to eat it all in one day. Because we thought expiration dates were suggestions, right? God says, eat it all in a day, unless it's the Sabbath, it lasts two days. We just said, well, that just means that's when you're supposed to buy it by. You have to buy it by May 22nd. It doesn't mean you have to eat it by then. Six years later, it's like, well, we bought it by May 22nd. Anyway, so there's these expiration dates, but they, God was building trust in them. The expiration date was about trust. How do you build intimacy with God? With trust. See, we talk around here about how God is not trying to just give us information, but is trying to bring us to transformation, which transformation is about intimacy. Trust being built builds intimacy. That's how it works relationally, right? Claire and I, in those early years, as I was saying a minute ago, and I've said many times over, there was layoffs, there was time we were off, there was time with and without money, never a lot of money when we had it. Uh, 
when Sarah was born, we went to the WIC office to get cheese and milk and different things, living in, in uh, this place we were living. Back then, they called bridge cards, food stamps. I remember one time I went in for food stamps, and um, they said, well, you'll have to tell us what your resources are. We had two cars. Both of our cars cost $35 each. Two cars, and they told me those, those cars put you over the, the resource amount to get food stamps. So they said, but we'll give you emergency food stamps. So we got emergency food stamps. Remember going with Sean um, in those early years because he and Kathleen were having their struggles too. And we were just trying to make money any way we could. And we came up with the idea that we would go around house to house in Downriver, the area that we lived near Detroit, and we would shovel aprons of driveways. Just, you know, how when the the city or the county comes by and they kind of plow the end of your driveway in and it's just ice and hard and nobody wants to deal with that stuff. We thought, well, this is a great business idea. We'll just go around and we'll tell them we'll do it for a dollar, an apron, 50 cents a piece. And we were doing that just to make money, trying to make things meet. We had a missionary one time come to our house from Africa and we were so excited to host him. His name was Bob Falco missionary to Africa. And we had to tell him when he came because we were sure we were going to run out of food. We said, Bob, we just want you to know we have prayed for our food to multiply because we so wanted you to be here. We wanted to host you, but we didn't know that we would have enough food. And we're grateful. And then he started to share stories about times he had prayed for God to multiply his food. See, because men and women don't live on bread alone. There's something that goes beyond all of that. And that's one of the things that fasting can remind us of. It builds a deeper trust. So in the midst of that, Sean and Kathleen were in Saginaw. And uh, we we gave them the nickname the Green Bean Kids because whenever we would go to visit them in Saginaw, their cupboards would be full of green beans. Not, Not full, but that's what they had, green beans. And the reason that they had green beans is because the church they were intending in Saginaw, they were, when they would run out of food stamps, they would access the cans, of, they, would, they would access the food pantry, and the food pantry was giving them a lot of green beans. So we ate a lot of green beans with them. Anyway, one day we were in a, we were in a really rough spot. We had gotten to the place where, you know, one of those many places in those years where we were wondering, how are we going to pay a bill? How are we going to buy the food we need? And we went and checked the mail, and we get, had a, a letter from Sean and Kathleen. And in it was $100. The Green Bean Kids had sent us $100. And we knew they didn't have it. They didn't have it any more than we had it. And we read the note, and at the end of the note, it said, and by the way, we know that you're going to try to give us this $100 back. But don't you dare, because God spoke and told us to give you this $100. Men and women will not live on bread alone, gang. We live by the very voice and word and spirit of God. God has things planned for you and I through his voice, through God's voice, 
through God's word that you cannot imagine. We would have sent the money back if they wouldn't have said that. Because we were learning a lesson like they were that in the middle of sometimes fasting, whether it's you're fasting because you have intentionally begun to fast or there's a fasting season in your life, that God is building trust through God's voice. So often we want God to show up. We pray for miracles. Why doesn't God bring a miracle? Here's a question that I ask myself, and part of the reason why I fast. If your life doesn't press you beyond your own ability, why do you even need a miracle? Or if you're not living a life of faith, risk, and courage, if you're not living through the gauntlet of the wilderness, If you've never had to fiercely face the wilderness, why does God even need to show up? Is it possible for you and I to live our lives in such a comfortable way that it makes our need for God unnecessary? That's what going without does. It reminds us how necessary God is in our life. It reminds us that when we sit down at a dinner table, it's not just about the steak and potatoes in front of us, but it's about God's provision. In other words, if your life can be lived in your own power, then you and I do not need the power of God. Now, I've got good news just to close it up with this. Last thing, fasting leads to unspeakable joy and gratitude. Always remember that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Israelites, when it comes to Nehemiah chapter 8, they've been defeated and conquered by Egypt, by Babylon, by, by Persia. They would have the Romans take over, Assyria, all sorts of times in their history that there would be a conquering. They would lose everything time and time again. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, this was one of those times a whole generation had gone by without experiencing God's word. They'd lost scriptures. They'd lost the temple. They had lost land. They had lost, most of them had lost their faith. And in the midst of that, for the first time in a generation, we come to Nehemiah 8. And this, I think, is the greatest prize of going without, doing things like fasting, is the depth of joy and gratitude that can come when you know your life could be without some of those things that sometimes are really easy to access. And this is what the scripture says. The priest Ezra opened the book. Now remember, they had not even, a whole generation had not even seen the book. They had not heard from the book. They had not known the word of God. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshipped with their faces to the ground, and they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them meaning so that the people understood what was being read. 
Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they had listened to the words of the law. And listen to what Nehemiah says. And he says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. In other words, your fast is now over. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ultimately, ultimately, fasting and those types of practices bring us to a place of enlarging our heart and having greater gratitude and joy and strength for the journey that we're all living. Yeah. And so one of the things that Scott and I thought for us all today is some of you feel like you have just been through a wilderness and even the invitation to fast, you just want to say, really? I want to go to Disneyland. You have been through some hard stuff. So I'm going to invite you as we open up the communion elements here to consider your life, where you've been, What's, what's it been like for you these last few years? I mean, can you imagine if we called the people of, you know, the, the, um, the Ukraine and said today, you all need to give up food for the next 40 days. I want to say that there's a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. I, I met with a pastor this week who's, who said... Um, you know, I just got over COVID. We were sick for 40 days in our, not 40 days, that's, that's Lent. We were sick for 20 days in our house. We were, um, it was like each one of us got it and then it kept going on and then we had weakness and all of that. And I, I'm just trying to say to God, what do you want me to fast for Lent? I said, I wonder if God wants you to fast being overly scrupulous. And being responsible. And maybe the next 40 days you're supposed to enjoy that you're healthy and your family's well. Maybe, maybe the fasting is your overly responsible behavior. You know, sometimes some of us, we're so hard on ourselves. What we need to fast is being so hard on ourselves. You know. So here's a few little fasting things that, you know, you could do. You could... You could Fast the need to be perfect, fast the need to be needed, fast the need to achieve, fast the need to be special, fast the need to know it all, fast the need to be secure, fast the need to avoid pain, fast the need to be against, and fast the need to avoid conflict. Maybe that's something you could fast. Or how about with the welcoming prayer, some of us need to just fast this desire for power and control, or fast the need for approval and affection, or fast the need for safety and security. I don't know. What is your life right now? So one of the things I love about the 40 days is it can shift. I'm not fasting food. He's, I signed him up. He's on day five. <laughs> and there's a, there's a list back there on the resource table. Make sure that you go ahead. But it's only because, Scott, this is a practice he loves um, that opens him to God. He says he gets hungry, I get hangry, and I, it doesn't, it's not great for me. Okay, so Scott, 
you know, he's been known to fast 21 days. And, um, and that's great. 21 minutes would be a lot for me right now. And, um, but I am fasting saying two particular things that I'm not going to tell you because it's between me and Jesus. There's two things that I have been regularly saying that I heard the invitation to, what if you fasted those things for the next 40 days? And Scott's been laughing because I said, I almost said it. So stand with me. Man does not eat, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is your invitation? Yes. You know, there's practices on the back there. We'd love for you to pick up the Lent calendar. Any, get, all the resources are free, except for if you sign up for fasting, that's going to cost you. And you'll be surprised how often when you hear the invitation and you say yes, that the Baconator, you know, comes out. And so just consider your own life and say, God, what, what would be good for my soul to fast these next 40 days? And then what we would say is that Jesus did a lot of feasting and the final feast was at the good sup at the last supper the good supper and Jesus took the bread and broke the bread and said take this all of you and eat this is my body broken for you every time every time friends you break bread every time you eat or don't eat Every time you come to the communion table, Jesus said, remember me. And so, friends, do you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm remembering you. Jesus, I'm receiving you as the word, as the sustenance of my life. supper, Jesus lifted up the cup. Jesus lifted up the cup so many times in his three years with his friends. He lifted it out. He gave thanks. He said, take this, all of you, and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood is shed for you and for all people so that sins are forgiven. And every time, friends, every time, every time, we drink mindfully. We remember that this is what this is about. The life that Christ has given us to find our life. And so together we say, Jesus, we remember you. And so together we just want to take a moment and remember and give thanks and know that whether we are um, feasting or fasting, whether we are full or hungry, that we're listening for the invitation from God. We're considering our own lives. What is it, God, that you're asking for? 
how would you like us to prepare for Easter in a way that we, we get close to you? Closer than we've ever been before. Hearing your voice. each day or maybe it'll be the same invitation leading up to Easter but I pray that we would hear your voice may God's favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your families and your children and your children and your children and your coming and your going and your weeping and rejoicing all around you all around you God is with you God is with you God is for you God is for been before. Bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.